future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Holy crap, huh? Holy crap. Yes, it is Friday, November 11, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Podcast. Whew. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken, and each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And, well, I gotta say, I am uh, quite pleasantly surprised, as I imagine you are too that we are going to be having this kind of conversation in the aftermath of this year's midterms as opposed to the one that was projected. Woo! This is incredible, incredible week. Anyways, you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become that patron. It's like a cup of coffee. Good cup of coffee once a month. You're going to kick it, kick it this way so that we can have progressive media. That kind of thing, right? Yeah. You can also help out the show by handing over or heading over to our YouTube channel. If you're not there already, smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show. Hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. I just want to remind you, with the midterms in the rearview mirror, we got to start looking ahead to our school boards. That's right. It's time to take back our school boards in 2023. And we cannot let Paul Martino and his friends buy our schools and push extremist politics on our community. We have shown that we can push back. We have shown that we've got the numbers and we need to continue that fight forward. That is why Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to adopt, to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. And you can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. So much looking forward to this. <clears throat> On today's show, just huge wins, right? Nationwide, we're seeing kind of governor's offices flip. We're seeing state legislatures flip. We're seeing um, like like uh, just unexpected gains. Uh, well, I shouldn't say gains, but unexpected uh, strong showings by Democrats across the country. It's been amazing. Looks like the backlash against the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade put abortion on the ballot this election. And yep, you bet. Women and supporters of the right to abortion turned out big time. Abortion rights advocates won every single ballot initiative this year, regardless of how liberal or conservative the state was. They won in Kentucky, Michigan, Vermont, Montana, and California. That's right. And in states like Vermont and Vermont and California, um, you had the actual enshrining the protection. I think in Michigan, too, as well, enshrined the protection of abortion in the state constitution. Uh, whereas in uh, Kentucky and Montana, it beat back attempts to um, take that right away. So just, just amazing. Just amazing. Young voter turnout was the second highest for a midterm in the past 30 years. Yes, young voters broke decidedly for Democratic Party candidates and helped tip the scales in some key races. According to the Edison Research National Election Pool exit poll, voters 18 to 29 chose Democrats by a 28-point margin. And they were the only age group, the only one, that came out strong for Democrats. 
the strongest support within that cohort, those young voters, came from Black and Latinx voters. Yes, and Gen Z will also see its first representative head to D.C. this year. 25-year-old Democrat Maxwell Frost beat a retired 72-year-old Army Green Beret in Florida's 10th Congressional District. Before running for office, Frost worked as a national organizing director for March for Our Lives, an anti-gun violence group that emerged from the Parkland Massacre. And he made gun violence front and center as his campaign. Yep, and he won. Democrats also flip state legislatures in Michigan and Minnesota and are keeping an eye on Pennsylvania. We'll talk a little bit about that today. And Maryland, legalize recreational use of marijuana. There you have it. As we were saying, uh, huge victories for Democrats in Pennsylvania. Josh Shapiro trounced the Christian nationalist Doug Mastriano by over 14 percentage points. John Fetterman fought his way to a decisive victory over Dr. Oz, despite having a stroke earlier this year, having tons of money got poured into that campaign with all sorts of horrific negative ads. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, Trump throwing his support behind Oz. Nope. Fetterman came out on top and fought his way through. Impressive, impressive. And on Wednesday of this week, Democratic Party leaders said that they think that they have a PA Democratic Party leaders said they think they've got the votes to flip the PA House for the first time in a dozen years. Now, as of this morning, Democrats hold a 101 to 100 seat advantage in the state house. They need one more seat to gain control. And I think there's only a couple races outstanding right now um, in Bucks County, six of the 10 position uh 10 represent state representative um elections in the state went to democrats six out of ten right it was like i think a three ga- a, th- a plus three gain for democrats in the state house just here in bucks county right um we're gonna talk a little bit more about bucks county drill down to that in a little bit um but it's pretty incredible now i i was looking at the um right before here uh mark moffa uh, is one of the races that's still uncalled. Uh, he's a Democrat. He's still in the lead. But as of this, well, how, let me look right this second <laughs> because I can tell you where it is right now. But as of this morning, uh, Moffa was ahead by something like two votes, right? I mean, it's that that close, that race. So uh, Democrats are confident that they're going to have the votes. So we're we are going to see. I mean, we're going to see what happens. Um, I'm just like flabbergasted at how amazing this week went. Um, that's pretty impressive. Let me just see if I've got, uh, well, I'll look, I'll look in a minute. Um, so we're going to talk about Pennsylvania, talk about the experiences out there. Love to hear from you. Love to hear uh, what your experience was like on election day. Um, love to hear your thoughts about the aftermath, um, about where we are here, um, where you're left in all of this and stuff. Um, I'd love to hear it. Um, and today's last call, we're just going to kind of maybe, maybe we'll have some fun stuff at the end of the show. I have to say I've, uh, uh, for the new season of The Witcher, uh, apparently some teasers are just out. I haven't even seen when it's when it's going to drop, but uh, uh, I think it's Michelle Yeoh is going to make an appearance on the show, which I'm freaking thrilled about. Um, so we'll see that's coming up. We have got the new season of The Wheel of Time is coming up um, pretty soon. Um, lots of cool stuff going to happen. Um, but you know what that means is that I got to get my button gear and get Amy back on the show so we can start talking some of this stuff. Uh, in addition to do, uh, some backdrop of what is happening here, uh, kind of in the neighborhood, so to speak in Bucks County. 
Hey, if you want more Progressive PA Talk Radio, got tuned into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern every day of the week, wherever you get your streaming platforms, YouTube, Facebook, you name it, right? You're on Twitter, check them out on Twitter, right? And you might, he might even, uh, you know, he may or may not have a blue check mark next uh, after his name, after what Elon Musk is doing to Twitter this week. It's just freaking crazy. Uh, that's been that's been a hoot in and of itself. You've also got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. You can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Yes, you check them out on the... Sorry. You can make sure you follow them on Twitter and at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And for all you gamers out there, the Game Inn, that's with two ends. The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts when they get A's of the report card. How can you beat that? Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game Inn. That's with two N's at the Game Inn on Twitter. If you've got a question about a game, you're looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout out, as always, goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page or follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's at, at Song of Day Man on Twitter. Yes, uh, and we got a special little announcement coming up on uh, Monday on Out to Coop Live. Yes, for the first time, I'm going to welcome Sean Crampsey to the show. Sean Crampsey is a government relations director at uh, State ABSCUF, that is my faculty union. And we're going to have him on. I mean, he's the guy who kind of uh, digs in deep uh, into elections, upcoming legislation, and so on. We're going to bring him on on Monday to talk a little bit of kind of, you know, post-mortem of the election, trying to get a sense of what were expectations, kind of what happened, how he sees the lay of the land going forward. And we're also going to kind of look at um, some of his thoughts about how this might um, kind of impact um, public higher education in the state of Pennsylvania going forward. So uh, join me on Monday. That is November 14th at 7 p.m. And that's with Sean Crampsey, the Government Relations Director at State Abscuff. Um, can be psyched about that. Look, everybody, if you want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today by becoming a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement, the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Woo, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. Uh, yes, well, the rain has officially started as the remnants of uh, hurricane, uh, the hurricane just kind of went through Florida, it makes its way up here as a tropical storm or the remnants of a tropical storm. Um, yeah, Florida has been pretty ravaged by, uh, by, by storms, as we know. Uh, we've had, uh, as is the second hurricane in less than a month, I guess. Um, this one was only a category one, but, uh, you know, our hearts go out with, uh, to anybody who's impacted by that. We understand there's a couple deaths, um, that were associated with it. Um, so it's like, you know, it's only going to get worse. And, uh, I have to say, uh, normally this week I would be talking a little bit more. I mean, if it wasn't uh, midterm elections, I'd be talking a lot more about cop 27, but we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to wait to kind of really kind of dig into what's going on. Uh, that conference, um, going on in Egypt is, 
Uh, it's really monumental, um, especially as more and more revelations about uh, the speed by which uh, the you know glaciers are melting and uh, the temperatures are increasing across the planet. Um, but I, I believe if I got this number right, it was 25% increase in the use of fossil fuels of the, um, since last year. I mean, there's a lot going on that um, that you know should be you know setting off the alarm bells right now, sirens, you know, all that kind of stuff. The good news is is that um, we're actually in a better place today <laughs> than we were on Monday when it comes to actually solving issues like that, um, like climate change, uh, or at least making some impacts than we were before. Now, if you recall, um, all like major news outlets, right, being led you know, by the nose from uh, conservative media, um, we're predicting what they kept on calling a red tsunami, right? That this is going to be, they're going to repudiate the, you know, uh, the Biden administration with the historic, you know, low approval ratings that they're going to pick up you know, 50 seats or 40 seats or 30 seats, but they're going to take control. And they're going to put an end to everything in the Biden agenda. Not so much, right? Uh, Republicans are also saying they're going to take, they're going to take back the Senate or they're, you know, yeah, they're going to take back the Senate and then, then they're going to stop everything. But nope, not so much, <laughs> not so much, right? Um, it's pretty kind of um, absolutely kind of amazing kind of where we are. I mean, you know, right now we're still waiting for uh, um, we're still waiting to see what happens in a couple Senate races. Um, Democrats seem uh, I don't want to say convinced, but they seem at least bolstered by the fact that they'll be able to take the Senate. Um, let me see here. We have uh, the House, actually, which was surprising. The Republicans are supposed to kind of take the House with ease. Um, you know, uh, Republican, you know, they would need 218. Did I say Democrats? I mean, Republicans were going to take the House by uh, by by huge. There was going to be 218 um, they needed for control. Right now, it's the total sits at 211 Republicans and 194 Democrats. Um, and there's 30 races that are yet undecided. The thing is, a lot of those races um, are leaning Democratic. Um, so if the, uh, if Republicans do indeed gain control of the house, um, it's only going to be by a narrow margin, right? So if we're looking at races right now and I'm, I'm checking out the New York times, uh, kind of election tra um, tracking, um, if we're kind of looking at things that are undecided, um, there's, uh, let's see. How many races that we got here? Yeah, it's really hard to say where this is going to go. It's really, it, it, I mean, it looks like at this point um, that, I, well, I don't know. I'm not going to be a prognosticator here, but it looks like Republicans may end up kind of taking, taking control by like a seat or something like that. But that's incredible, right? And what that does, what that actually does is that means they can start um, – putting a lot of pressure upon those um, those districts um, for 2024 and actually force the uh, House members to take really tough votes, especially if the Democrats remain control, uh, uh, remain uh, keep control of the Senate. That means they can pass things in the Senate that forces down to the House for the vote that what 
Republicans thought were going to be these safe districts. Turns out they're not safe districts. And now you're going to keep on, you could, right, keep on forcing those House Republicans to take really tough votes that are going to put more pressure upon them when they have to go up for re-election in 2024. I mean, Ryan Grimm was making this point yesterday on um, Ryan Grimm and Emma Viglin were making this point yesterday on the majority report. And I think it's a it's a really smart take. If You know, I'm mean, again, this is all dependent upon the Democrats actually using the control of the Senate um, to put pressure upon those House Republicans. We will see if they do that. That also all depends on whether or not they are, you know, retain control of the Senate. Now, of course, we got uh, Warnock is going up uh, against Herschel Walker again as part of um, um, a runoff election at the beginning of December. Um, that's going to be absolutely huge. Big questions are out there now about, okay, with if the Democrats win or, or actually take control of the Senate, does that take, you know, before the, before that election, you know, even happens, if they take control of the Senate, does that mean that the um that takes one of the arrows out of Herschel Walker's quiver, right? Because look, he's not very popular even in Georgia. Like, you know, a lot of the arguments were being made by people on the right that, you know, you got to vote for Walker to because we want to control the Senate. We don't care what he thinks. We don't care how good a candidate he is. We just need him to kind of be a body in the Senate. Well, how motivated are people going to be if the Senate's already in the hands of, of Democrats to go out and try to support somebody they don't really like to begin with? So that's going to be really telling to see how that how that plays out going forward, um, just in terms of what our politics are going to look like, um, you know, at the national level. Um, so we shall see. We shall see. Um, I'm I'm just charged up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I woke up on I woke up. Uh, I went to bed late. You know, well, I should even wind back because, you know, I'm kind of judge of elections in my precinct and uh and we had another just great turnout. We had a just great turnout. I work with just some just awesome people um, who are just dedicated to making sure everybody kind of uh, everybody can vote. Right. Keeping everything kind of nice and calm, um, keeping things kind of kind of orderly. You know, we check each other's work. I mean, it's just great. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where. You know, it. For somebody who's been, you know, who does a show like this, who's going to spend a lot of time kind of on politics and things like this, um, I will fully admit that I very much appreciate spaces like a polling place, right, where I'm, you know, serving now, where people kind of check their ideologies at the door and just make sure you've got a functioning, efficient process so that everybody gets to vote. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's just like the mechanisms work so well, at least at, you know, my precinct. I understand this is not the case everywhere, but I just want to thank everybody at my precinct, everybody who came out and worked as a poll worker, uh, whether you're elected or you're, uh, or you're there as a clerk, or if you're a kind of a volunteer that you came in to work the polls, uh, you know, um, to make sure everybody had the right to vote. Fantastic. Um, thank you to everybody who was out there campaigning like crazy for uh, all the Democratic Party candidates um, that were up this year. Um, those who, you know, I, I was uh, I'll say right now that um, there was I'll get to some of the stuff in the Pennsylvania part when we get locally, but there were some big disappointments for me. Um, 
that it, kind of in that. But I mean, it was just an incredible, an incredible job. I have never seen like in the entire time that I've lived in Bucks County, which has been what now? Um, uh, well, 14 years, right? Um, I've been in Bucks County and that 14 years, I have never seen so many people uh, kind of out there canvassing, um, kind of doing door to door work um, that I have this year. I mean, it was absolutely impressive. And like we've been saying on the show for a while, so much of that was built from the organizations that formed around what was happening in the school boards. Those parents and those community members who have been organizing to push back against this right wing extremism that's infecting our schools. And those organizations have only stayed together. They didn't go away. They keep on building. They moved into this election and they became part of that kind of, you know, that infrastructure, the organizational infrastructure that takes a long time to build, became part of that. And that kind of went out there and campaigned for folks um, um, for this election. So um, absolutely amazing. Um, it's just great. So thank you to everybody who was out there doing all that work. Thank you for there. And I want a special shout out once again to the uh, Bucks County Board of Elections. Um, I know I talked to a friend of mine, uh, Mike Cambone, who's also do, uh, does uh, judge of elections out there in Berks County, uh, had the same kind of very similar experience that I did. Right. Just uh, amazing folks at the polls. And then when you go to deliver your ballots. Right. You know, and kind of bring back all your materials at the end of the night. Everyone's had like a 16 hour day. You're actually, you know, exhausted. The people at the uh, Board of Elections are exhausted and they still have got another like whatever, 12 hours ahead of them to count the ballots and everything. It is one of the most efficient systems I have ever experienced. I mean, this is the second the second time I've done I've done elections, and it's like you bring all this back, and this I would I kept on imagining it's just going to be chaos, and people are going to be long lines, and everyone's going to be. Uh, it was efficient. I got in my car. A police officer directs me to an open spot. I get out. I bring my stuff in. There's someone there to point me in the right direction, tell me where to go. Someone every step of the way, and I was in and out of there with no problem, and they're off counting the ballots. That's just amazing to me. Every single time, and I said this in the spring too as well, every single time that we had an issue at the polls, and we didn't have any like, you know, conflict issues, but just like, you know, somebody, their name wasn't showing up right, or we needed to make sure about the registration, something like that. You have like seven numbers you can call. You call, somebody picks up the phone, like every time except for once, once I had to choose a second number, every time except for that one time, someone picks up the phone within three rings. I'm talking to an actual person, right? And they've got my problem solved in under a minute, right? I mean, can you imagine if corporate America worked like that? <laughs> I mean, seriously, could you imagine what it would be like you call up Verizon or you call, you know, you name the place and you get their customer service on three rings. You're like, yeah, how can I help you? And you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, let's fix that. Boom, you're done. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was the most... Uh, I mean, it was actually an enjoyable experience. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So thanks to everybody there. So anyways, anyways, I got way off track, but that's, uh, I just had to get that out. Um, so yeah. So what are the key things now? So we see this, right? I mean, there was a big question, you know, this is why I had to turn off. Um, I literally just kind of turned off from following, especially cable news. I just could not tolerate cable news anymore. Um, I just found it just, just, just in, in unhelpful, right? Um, it was, I mean, I don't care which cable news station it was. It was people 
just ramping up and shopping opinions as facts, right? Or as like real takes or things like this. And it was just, you know, to use an old John Stewart word, it was partisan hackery, right? And uh, it was unhelpful. I mean, you know, I would follow stuff, you know, kind of in the news, you know, New York Times, the local news, the, you know, Bucks County Beacon and following those kind of things that, that's happening, that's going on, trying to check in. So I've been following the news, but I just got off like social media for the most part, got off the cable news and all that stuff because it was just like, I couldn't get my head around it because, you know, you kept on hearing like, well, you know, we're seeing enthusiasm, you know, yes, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, a lot of people were all pissed off and, you know, but now it seems like enthusiasm has kind of died down and now the economy is the real issue and they're saying these things and you're like, that's not my experience, you know, and like, that's not what I'm seeing and that's not what I'm hearing. And I'm, that, you know, if I'm looking at people who are organizing or new voters that are registered that I even like, like in places that I know, I'm looking at, say, young women registering like 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 right off the bat. I'm seeing women leading organizing drives. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, and that's kind of front and center. So I'm like, OK, they're saying that in the polls. We're just going to have to see. And sure enough, what happened is that that was uh, the the backlash against the Supreme Court decision overturned Roe v. Wade was not only real. Right. Um, but it is one of the if not the kind of uh, primary uh, uh, reasons why Democrats did not just get wiped out um, this fall. Um, women and those supporters of abortion, of the right to abortion, were the ones who who were out there and constantly organizing. And the fact that that happened not just here in Pennsylvania, that happened everywhere across the country. Right, there were ballot initiatives that sought to either enshrine the right to an abortion into the state constitution, or other ones who were a ballot initiative to kind of make sure that it said that you do not have that right in the constitution, right? In those states that wanted to enshrine it in the constitution, it was the, uh, Vermont, uh, California, and I believe Michigan, they won. In states like Montana and uh, Kentucky where they wanted to remove it, nope, they lost. And then in all those instances means that abortion advocates won. All five ballot initiatives out here, regardless of how conservative or liberal it was, which shows you who was out there organizing. It shows women did uh, women and kind of supporters of abortion rights were out there supporting or without their building, say, coalitions across party lines. Um, it shows you that the um, the right to an abortion is not something that is just kind of like a liberal want. It is something that is about bodily autonomy. It is about equality and citizenship. It is a kind of a baseline for you know, like equal participation and equal consideration and just just basic respect and human rights under the law. And women showed up and boom, beat that stuff back. And that has got to put a lot of these kind of, you know, right wing nut jobs on their heels. The ones who have been campaigning on abortion, got to get rid of abortion, got to get rid of abortion. Right. Th that's the one thing. And I had a, I had a conversation with a colleague, Colleen, this week. And you say, you know, it's the last thing in the world that you'd ever want to say is that, you know, that this wouldn't have happened had not Roe v. Over, overturned because it's horrible that Roe v. Wade got overturned, right? You never want to kind of like say like, that's good to happen so that this can No, the thing that you can say is that that horrific thing, right? What's What's been incredible to see is that that was the wake-up call, right? For a, a large segment of the electorate, People who thought, yeah, the Republicans are saying it, but they're never going to do it. They're never going to do it. Or they weren't really paying attention to politics, stuff like that. That was the wake up call. That was the thing that people were like, what, what, 
what? And let's be clear. Let's be clear about this too as well, is that a lot of that organization was built upon what happened during the Women's March, right? And the organization that has taken place before, before then. So that's absolutely incredible. The other thing that was great to see was that uh, young voter turnout was the highest that it's been in 30 years, right? So, and that young voter turnout broke decidedly for Democrats, right? That is true in Pennsylvania. That is a true across the country, right? Um, and as I said, kind of a, um, in the lead up here, you had, um, uh, where is it, 28% uh, the young voters, that is between 18 and, uh, what was it, 18 and 29? Is that the breakdown? 18 and 29, between 18 and 29, uh, when it came to kind of voting for the U.S. House of Representatives, 63% voted for Democrats, by 35% voted for Republicans. That's a 28-point margin. That is huge. That is the only demographic group, right, or a demographic age group, I should say, that showed that kind of support for Democrats, Right. That's the your that's your Gen Z and that's your kind of kind of like, you know, old kind of like younger millennials. Right. Once you break, once you go to that next, you look at the kind of millennials, you look at that next cohort, right? There's support for Democrats there, but it's only in about the kind of 51, 52 percentage uh percentage points. Right. That's just really big. Ages um ages 30, 30 to 44, for example, right? 51%. This is from the Tufts University um, Tisch College Circle. It's called, you know, they're basically track this stuff. Um, 30, ages 30 to 44, 51% supported Democrats, 47% um, supported Republicans. And the reason why you have a gap there is because there are people that said other or gave no answer to that question, right? Once you get into uh, my cohort, right, Gen Z, I mean, I'm sorry, Gen X, right, you have 44% supported Democrats, 54% reported Republicans. And then when you get into 65 years or older, once you get into the, you know, kind of the boomers, only 43% uh, supported Democrats, pretty close to kind of Gen X, 43% uh, supported Democrats, 55% um, supported Republicans, right? So even there, what's also what's also striking about that though too as well, as much as the you know the the youth vote sixty three to um, uh, thirty five supporting Democrats for ages eighteen through twenty nine, it's also important that the the gap in ages sixty five and over, or even my generation, right, um, is you know about a ten percentage points, 10, 11, 12 percentage points. Well, other elections that's been that's been wider, so it shows you, you know. It shows you that Democrats won across the board, um, but the age groups at 18 to 29, huge. And let's remember, now, of that youth group, now, this is, the, this is the kind of, you know, the sad thing about American politics, right, is that when we say, like, you know, historic margins or historic turnout, um, we have, like, piss poor voter turnout when it comes to, to what it means to live in a democracy, Right. Um, and that's not true across the board. Right? I know that uh, Philadelphia had a huge percentage. I can't remember. I saw these numbers about 80 percent voter turnout uh, kind of in Philadelphia. Um, but then we could ask uh, how many people are registered to vote. We could ask a whole bunch of other questions about that. But regardless. So we say this is historic uh, youth turnout. We should be clear that this represents only 27 uh, percent. Um, of that age group, right, turned out, right? So yes, it's historic, right? But it's still only 27% of the possible. Now, why that's important, however, 
Because that shows you how much room there is to mobilize young voters. And let's also remind everybody, millennials and Gen Z are huge generations, right? My generation, Gen X, was kind of like, you know, we're like the small generation, you know, caught between two big ones, right? Um, when we were looking for jobs, right, uh, you know, we were kind of coming of age, going to job, all those industries, right, that had basically helped build the greatest generation, helped build the boomerang generation, helped build all that stuff. All those jobs were fleeing our country, right? All the kind of elected officials and things like this, like, were occupied by, you know, by boomers who were so active in the 60s and 70s. Right. So we were kind of like, you know, this little disenchanted, you know, generation or whatever. Um, not that we did. Look, I mean, you know, I've been active politically since high school. So and, and I have tons of friends who have been, too, as well. But, you know, it was a little bit of a different experience for us, I always to say. Um, what else can we say about this? If you look at the breakdown, um, you know, like I said, in terms of age demographics, the youth vote was huge. If you look at race and ethnicity, however, right, we see this huge. There's a few things. Or this is, let me see. Oh, this is national youth vote. This is not totally. This is actually the national youth vote, right, breakdown by race, race and ethnicity. Black youth, right, showed up 89% for Democrats as opposed to 9% for Republicans. Latinx youth showed up 68% for Democrats, 30% for Republicans. And even the white youth showed up for Democrats 58% versus 40%. Right? So that's huge. What's great about this, this is, again, this is from um, Tufts Tisch College. They did the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement. Um, they have a great kind of page and breakdown here. That is uh, kind of uh, kind of amazing. I'm just going to actually drop this in the uh, in uh, the chat. So if anybody wants to check it out. Oh, I wasn't even looking at chat. So, hey, Kirsten, what's happening? Um, let's see. Let's see. We're looking at youth vote here, too, as well. We're going to see in Pennsylvania, right, for Pennsylvania Senate, right, 70% of the youth vote came out for Fetterman as opposed to 28% for Oz. 70%. That's enormous. That's enormous. And that's in these competitive states, right? They're saying, and, and as they kind of break this down, a Pennsylvania Senate race where Democrat John Fetterman won by a slim margin, a three percentage margin, um, youth ages 18 to 29 preferred Fetterman 70% to 28% compared to 55% to 42% among voters ages 30 to 34, or voters over 45 preferring Republican candidate Dr. Oz. So people older than 45 broke in favor of Dr. Oz, right? It was voters under 45 who were responsible in large part for Fetterman's win. This was also true in the Senate race where um, Warnock um, was backed by young voters, 63 to 36%, which is also huge. Um, I mean, it's just been it's been pretty amazing. Right. So, uh, you know, I give so much credit to those kind of, you know, youth organizers who have been out there 
trying to get their their peers kind of involved in politics, getting their out their right to vote, um, getting people signed up and registered to vote, making sure people knew how to get to the polls um, and, you know, building on those organizations that came out of the kind of, you know, gun violence movement for March for Our Lives, for example, that comes out of the Sunrise Movement, right, um, fighting climate change, um, these youth movements that have helped propel this, right? And I think um, that bodes well going forward. Um, what we need now, and I got myself, you know, got, you know, kind of annoyed a couple people about this this week um, when I said this, but, you know, this is another argument for, you know, the leadership of the Democratic Party, you know, in particular, those folks who are in their 80s, <laughs> right, or late 70s to, to, to pass the baton. Right. I mean, it's time to pass the leadership baton to other folks. Right. And not just other ones that you can control. Right. Not other ones that are, are just going to do exactly what you did, but that are going to capture this kind of energy. Right. I mean, there's been, you know, people who've, who've worked in politics for a long time. You know, I remember this this one, you know, when I lived in D.C. Now, this is this is going back a bit. I mean, I lived in D.C., you know, uh, kind of early 2000, late 1990s. Um, I think that. Um, you know, talking to kind of insiders there at that point about their frustration. And, you know, this is like over 20 years ago. Um, but they were the real frustration at that point is that the leadership of the Democratic Party. Right. And I'm, again, I'm not saying all Democrats. I'm talking about the leadership of the top leadership. They were resistant to cultivating the next generation of leaders. Now, some of this changed somewhat with Obama's election, right? When Obama kind of got elected in 2008, it really charged young voters, and there was kind of an uptick on this. But the leadership still resisted and still does resist kind of new ideas and new perspectives. I mean, if you look at, you know, like what young voters favor, what's important to them, it is not the same issue set that is important to those folks who are over 45, over 50, right? And if all of your leadership are in their 70s, right, what they see, what's important to them personally, right, and to those people around them that they've kind of gone through this process with, that's a different issue set. Now, yes, it may be true that they can understand, right, or maybe they see these things and maybe they're kind of, you know, uh, kind of in tune enough to what's what the changes that are happening demographically. Um, but they, you know, for somehow they're not making those moves. And it's, you know, it's time. And this is, you know, uh, what, what's frustrating to me is that, you know, kind of the slack that I get, right, sometimes when I make these make these comments is that somehow I'm not like I'm kind of I'm debasing, you know, uh, folks who have put in all this hard work over the years. It's like not at all. All I'm saying is that there has been a structural deficiency in the Democratic Party leadership, right, in cultivating a next generation of leaders. Like the right wing does this all the time. There are their bench is deep. Right. There's a reason why you keep on getting, you know, young folks elected. And the Republican Party. And yes, some of them are nut jobs, right? But there's spaces all over the place to kind of get these people plugged in. 
like sometimes it's the official Republican Party, sometimes it's the associated organizations around those things that are getting folks involved, but they're getting them involved in electoral politics and teaching them how to do this stuff and encouraging it. Right. We need to get in that habit. Right. I, and this is what I'm saying. On the left is like instead of just chastising young people. Well, for like not voting or not stepping up or not doing this, maybe what we should do is saying, let me help. Let me show you how. With the understanding, if you've ever had kids, you've ever been around kids and all that kind of stuff, you know that just by telling them once doesn't make it happen, right? Learning this stuff takes time. I remember myself, right, what it meant to kind of get my head around electoral politics and all the machinations and all the forms and all the kind of bureaucratic stuff, right, to get past the... To, to get past the, the, the despair that's built into those structures that seem designed to keep you out, to get to the point where you can understand it and get your head around it takes time. That's why we need to invite the And look, and I look, I look at what happened, you know, for all those people that want to kind of like, you know, bash young folks, right, and saying they're not doing enough, I saw young folks stepping up during this election. I, I went to several rallies, but several of the speakers weren't even old enough to vote yet, but they were out there canvassing. So let's be generous to each other. And I'm sorry if by saying like, look, Democratic Party boomers, your leadership, you need to move aside. I'm sorry if that pissed some people off. That's not my intent. My intent is to say, if the goal is to win, <laughs> right, then we need to recognize that there's a gap between the messaging and the stuff that's going out there. That is to take nothing away from what Nancy Pelosi has done in her career. Right? That is to take nothing away from what Charles Schumer has done in his career. We could have debates about how like effective they've been and, and what their impact has been in politics and all that other kind of stuff. We could talk about all that stuff. I would never take it away from them to say that they haven't done that work. They have, right? But there's that gap we got to address. So anyways, anyways, I got way off track there. But that's the kind of thing that I think is, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely great to see, right? And I know one of my goals, right, one of my goals, I mean, you know, I got whatever elected to the, you know, our judge of elections and did that. Um, obviously, we do this, right, um, that, you know, as part of, highlighting the work of what's going on, kind of reporting what's happening in the community and that kind of stuff. Um, and that next step is like, you know, I'm at that point now, my kids are getting old, like, like old enough now. Um, and, you know, we've had some kind of job changing stuff that's happening in our, uh, you know, in our own family um, with kind of how each of us are approaching our work and things like this, which is going to hopefully settle some things out, right? Which is going to make it even kind of possible for me to get even more involved with kind of our local Democratic Party, which is, you know, and or just the local organization, right? Because look, I, I don't like, I'm just not like a team sport kind of person, right? Like, in other words, it's like, I don't, I don't take pride in being a Democrat, right? I mean, it, it's not like, I'm not saying you take pride in being great. Excellent. Fine. That's on you. Right. I mean, it's a, for the same reason that, 
you know, I mean, there was a time in my life which I was a huge Steelers fan, right? You know, I was a you know big Steelers fan. And I was like, well, but you know, I, I you know, I, 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 it's not part of my identity. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's just not a part of like my identity. What I care about are the issues, right? What I care about are the, you know about the people who need help. I care about a better future, not just for my kids, but for everybody, right? I care about like, like tackling climate. And right now the democratic party is the best vehicle to try to get that done. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm critical of the democratic party and like, you know, some people act like I'm committing heresy. I'm like, I'm not in a religion. I, I, I just want to say for me, when I vote or campaign for a Democratic candidate, I didn't join a religion, right? I'm trying to get that candidate elected because that's going to help the kind of power balance that's going to help us get those issues addressed, right? And yes, part of it means like, okay, does that mean kind of like having to convince people why it's worth their while to vote for, for a Democrat when there's a particular brand in their minds about what it means to be a Democrat? Yeah, of course, you got to address that kind of stuff. But me personally... Like, I want to get involved with my local Democratic Party, my local Democratic group, not because, like, I want to kind of, like, you know, whatever. I want to be able to wear blue all the time. No. I mean, I want because these are people who are doing work, who are doing amazing work and organizing, right? And, I, you know, I, for what little I can contribute, I'd like to. You know, that kind of thing. And I think that more and more people are doing that, which is fantastic. And frankly, I've got a ton to learn from these organizers who have done just just outstanding work in our community. Everything from door knocking to kind of just organizing rallies to um, going through voter polls. I, mean, I had people showing up in my, you know, in my polling place kind of checking in about um, <clears throat> where we were in terms of turnout and everything like this. New people that weren't there in the past. That's great. Anyways. <clears throat> Um, also on that same line, right, you got a uh, 25 year old Democrat Maxwell Frost got elected um, in uh, Florida's 10th congressional district. And that is absolutely huge. You know, this is a guy. And again, this is the kind of messaging I'm talking about. Like he came out of the March for Our Lives campaign. Right. He was their national organizing director. He's a community organizer. Right. Um, organizing around issues of, of uh, against gun violence for um uh, for gun regulation, right? For, you know, uh, an assault, ban, all that kind of stuff that came out of, you know, that horrific Parkland, Florida um, high school shooting, right? And this guy is not hiding who he is, right? He's not pretending to soft pedal his, his stance on guns. No, he made this as a focal point of his campaign and he won. And he won against a guy who's like the, you know, the, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? You know, he's the kind of, I want people want to say emoji. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. What do I mean? Um, no, never mind. But he's basically the poster guy, the poster child for like, you know, gun rights. You know, he was a retired uh, army green beret. You know, he's like this, that of the kind of the old school, this is, this is what strength means and all this stuff. And you got, you know, he's going up against this kind of uh, Maxwell Frost, African-American young community organizer, um, um, or, you know, um, fighting kind of for uh gun regulation um there you go i mean and he wins like decidedly um the other big thing is again this is a huge mistake um that happened in the say democratic party um and this is kind of like years ago right really to start 
you know, there was a, it was, this is one of the kind of things, you know, this happens with, you know, periodically within different parties, they, their, their focus starts to slowly turn in one direction until a point where they've kind of abandoned something that's really important. And that happened the way that Democrats uh, shifted their attention away from statewide offices or statewide legislators and, and state office and was always, were continually focused on the national level. All right. So Democrats. So you'd have, so and why, what, what are the measures of that? Well, you can look at say voter turnout, um in off off or non-presidential election years right and this is one of the things that democrats you know democratic party will tell you themselves right is that there's a huge drop off right in democratic party voters in non-presidential election years right that is changing a bit now right but for a long time that there was right and my experience has always been when you start talking about um statewide office right like in pennsylvania here or if you're talking about local office um people tend to get kind of bored by that or kind of get dismissed by that not so much anymore republican party however was like laser focused on um gaining control of state legislators like um in the lead up to the um the 2010 elections right and they did they flipped so many state legislators and that allowed them to gerrymander all these states and kind of put the rest of the country in jeopardy you know because of that um now that is changing and now we're seeing this kind of like this pushback right thanks to the organizing that's happening on the ground in michigan and minnesota um they flipped the state legislatures right and when we come back after the break we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in pennsylvania um because we're really close to seeing uh, pennsylvania flip to blue um, for the first time in over a dozen years so that's pretty cool um one other thing to mention just go back on a uh, maryland legalized the recreational use of marijuana um that is kind of a continued a continued trend that went kind of went up to the voters um and under the initiative and it was called question four on the ballot um i'm reading for the washington post adults 21 and older will be allowed to possess smoke and grow marijuana uh, there is some fine print to be aware of regarding how much is allowed and so on and so they go into the article um, but it will start it'll become legal in uh, july 1st 2023 all right, and we'll legalize personal possession of up to 1.5 ounces of marijuana for adults 21, uh, 21 and older. And possession of more than 1.5 ounces but less than 2.5 ounces will thereby be thereafter be punishable by a fine of up to $250. Possession of more than 2.5 ounces will be punishable up to six months in jail or a fine of $1,000, right? In other words, right, you want to make sure that you, people are not growing for kind of like, you know, um, black market distribution, right, or kind of off-book di distribution, but rather it's for personal consumption. Right. Um, so um, there you go. There you go. Um, in that new initiative, it will also allow people to grow um, uh, up to two um, pot plants, basically cannabis plants in their home uh, out of the public view beginning July 1st, too, as well. Um, and that's like a huge thing. You know, um, that's a huge thing in part because that it it it's it puts some it's some some pushback against they say the the growing corporatization of uh, the um, uh, the cannabis industry, right? So that if people are able to kind of grow this kind of like for themselves, right, and not have to kind of rely upon um, some kind of corporate intermediate, that's a good thing. Like on the other hand, um, there's um, yeah, I mean. <clears throat> There's other dispensaries and things like this that will be available. So that's just kind of another um, point in that direction. And I know it's starting to put some pressure back on Pennsylvania here because, um, you know, look, Pennsylvania has come close a couple times to uh, really uh, moving in that direction and decriminalization and then towards um, legalization. 
Um, and there's been support on from some Republicans, too, as well. So it's one of these kind of things that has traction um, across kind of political party lines um, and is not that kind of team sporty as some of the other issues. So we may see that soon. Um, the big news of all of that, of course, is that once you start, say, decriminalizing um, marijuana and then kind of legalizing it, then you're basically cutting one of the kind of main uh, kind of arteries, uh, in the, um, you know, basically, you know, the, the pipeline to prison and that's the big deal, right? That's, we see disproportionate impacts, uh, kind of, uh, um, um, BIPOC community rights getting, um, disproportionately impacted by that. Um, that's why we have such large numbers of say black and Latinx and, um, people of color kind of are channeled into the prison pipeline because of that. Um, and that is going to go away. So that's a good deal. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break and we come back and talk a little bit about what's happening here in Pennsylvania. Some of the big news that we had this week. Uh, I know a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief. Um, I'm going to give some shout outs there, too, as well. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. You can help support this show by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress to become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. We're going to be back right after this with uh, this week's last call and uh, I'm sorry, this week's uh, Pennsylvania focus and maybe a little last call. All right. Talk to you on the other side. See ya. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1887. That was a tragic day for the labor movement. Four men were hung in Chicago for their alleged role in the bombing at a labor rally at the city's Haymarket Square a year earlier. In a sensational trial, a total of eight men were convicted for Haymarket. Although the trial had not proven any of the men had any ties to the bombing, five were sentenced to die. One died in jail before the execution could take place. The others were martyred for their support of the labor movement and the fight for the eight-hour workday. Two of the men were German-born August Spies and Adolf Fischer, who had worked at Arbiter Zeitung, a Chicago German-language pro-worker newspaper. A third was Albert Parsons, a Southern-born anarchist and the editor of the working people's English-language newspaper, The Alarm. The fourth was George Engel, a German-born labor activist and owner of a toy store. Neither Parsons nor Engel were even present at Haymarket during the time of the bombing. Before he was executed, Albert Parsons declared, let the voice of the people be heard. August Spies shouted, the day will come when our silence will be more powerful than the voices you strangle today. In 1893, a Haymarket Martyrs Monument was commemorated at the Forest Home Cemetery just outside of Chicago. Carved at the base is August Spee's declaration. That same year, the governor of Illinois pardoned the remaining three Haymarket prisoners. Seven of the eight men who were convicted of the Haymarket affair are buried at the cemetery, along with many other progressive activists who wanted to be interned alongside the martyrs. Each year, visitors from around the world visit the cemetery to pay their respects to these heroic men. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Hey, 
Hey, how are you? I can't even talk. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Ken Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, I just realized my my color is all weird on my monitor. So uh, I am a little warm, So, I'm, but I'm, I, I promise you I'm not this red. <laughs> I'm looking. I just, like, checked it out. Um, um but here we are. Okay, so welcome back. So yes, PA focus. Um, one thing I want to point out too is like Chuck said in the comments, we were talking about uh, recruiting youth and stuff, and he said, "Yeah, look, the GOP recruits youth through Turning Point USA and a whole bunch of other organizations. It's a very coordinated effort." And there's actually a good book called something like Raising Them Right, which uh, gets into all about that. Um, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the things that the right wing has that we certainly don't have on the left is like we don't have like church networks. Right. I mean, a lot of uh, this, some of this kind of right wing, especially as kind of the right wing has become more and more enmeshed with Christian nationalism. Um, the church has become one of these recruiting grounds uh, for for youth. Um, but there's a whole range of other ways in which that happens. I mean, Turning Point USA is one of the organizations that you know started in college and now it's making its way down into high schools and middle schools um, kind of across the country. Um, that's certainly been the case here in PA. So anyways, so PA. Let's talk PA. This is amazing, amazing. I mean, the fact that Josh Shapiro literally trounced like Doug Mastriano in uh, for the gubernatorial race uh, over 14 percentage points uh, win. That was absolutely amazing. Um, now, this is one of the things that you got to say, right? Um, just like everywhere else, is that you know Shapiro benefited, I think, for two things. Number one, he had an absolutely clear. Um, um, uh, he was actually clear of support of abortion rights, right? So he was, I mean, and, that, and that's not inconsistent from him, right? So that's been that's been clear from the get-go and that he, uh, he made it the, um, clear from the start of his campaign, which was, um, which is, which, you know, galvanized a whole bunch of people behind that campaign, right? Justifiably so. Um, you know, he, uh, 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 yep, he won out a bunch of stuff. The other thing though, if you look at the gap, the other thing that is Shapiro, unlike Fetterman, was able to pull in some of uh, it appears at least Republicans um, chose to vote for Shapiro over Doug Mastriano. Now, I'm sure we're going to find out more about this in the days to come. And I'm, this is something I'm interested in uh, getting Sean Crampsey's take on on uh, Monday. Um, to what degree were um to what degree that to, that we know, right? We have Republicans crossing the aisle, uh, or kind of voting for Democrats, voting for Josh Shapiro. To what extent were they voting for Josh Shapiro, and to what extent were they voting, basically saying we we need to distance ourselves from um, a guy who is clearly on the far right? Um, we we cannot vote for. We have to ensure. Not even did not vote for. We have to ensure that a Christian nationalist does not get into um, become the governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Right. And I get that sense that there was a pretty significant group of people that were in that camp. Why do I say that? Well, if you look at the difference between Shapiro's win and Fetterman's win, right? Fetterman won by about three points. Shapiro won by fourteen points. Right. That means you have about 11 percentage points in there of difference, right? So if we assume that a, uh, a chunk of those folks, uh, a chunk of those folks were uh, Republicans or moderate Republicans, um, they were not new Democrats, right? Um, they were, uh, we went right back in line to vote for um, 
vote for Mehmet Oz and they were okay with Mehmet Oz. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, uh, Doug Mastriano was a bridge too far. So that's kind of important for a couple reasons. Like number one, um, it shows you in these hotly contested elections, right. When you're not dealing with an absolute nut job, when you're actually working with, um, you know, uh, or say right-wing Republicans that are kind of in the kind of, you know, whatever acceptable category for most Republicans, it's going to be a much tighter race. So then the question is, is that where are the margins going forward, right? I believe the wrong message to take from this, um, the statewide elections is that, oh, Democrats are finally kind of flipping Republicans in, you know, these suburban or moderate Republicans and becoming Democrats. That does not bear itself out when you look at all the races, right? So what it says is that, nope, those Republicans are basically splitting their tickets, right? They said, no, I cannot vote for Mastriano, but I'm voting Republican down the line um, uh, um, in most other places. And then where we see Democrats making gains in competitive races, it's when you've mobilized uh, kind of different sets of voters, right? And there's been some demographic shift, right? Um, so there is some of that. So my guess is going to be that you're going to have, you know, some, there's going to be some of the moderates who might not be as affiliate, affiliated specifically with parties, might be some kind of independents. Um, people don't pay so much attention to, um, you know, the, the machinations of politics until it comes to election day comes up. Um, <clears throat> well, there you go. Uh, Kirsten says, we owe a big thank you to all those prominent retired old school Republicans who endorsed Shapiro. They created the permissioned. Um, permission structure for our non-Trumpy GOP voters um, to vote for Shapiro. Um, <clears throat> that's um, again, that's a that's a that's a fair point, right? Um, when it comes to Shapiro, um, and uh, that was absolutely necessary, and again, a, um, a, a very positive political move. Um, but again, when we're taking the lessons coming from that, um, it's that my guess is that we're not going to see a repeat of that unless we get a similar kind of extreme candidate being promoted by the Republican Party at the statewide level. Um, what we're going to see instead is that we're going to see a return to, um, you know, um, we're going to see a return to, uh, you know, kind of these like highly competitive elections. So then the question is, is like where where are they making gains and how now Bucks County was, was a really, really fascinating example because you have six out of 10, uh, if our numbers are right, it's about six out of 10 of the races went to Democrats, right? Bucks County is increasingly trending blue. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see what kind of blue this is going to be. Um, it's, and what I mean by that is because, you know, if you, if you say there's a Fetterman blue and then there's a Shapiro blue, right. And there's a, uh, um, uh, a Susan wild blue, like from up in Lehigh Valley, she won her race, highly competitive race. She just ran a freaking amazing campaign and won that seat. So, I mean, there's a bunch of things that are kind of, that, you know, are going to take a little bit of time. And, uh, I, I, I have, I have faith at this point that Steve Santacero, who is now the head of the Bucks County, um, uh, Bucks County Democratic Party, um, is savvy about this stuff. I'm hoping. All right. Because this is what I think um, we're going to see um, having to make an assessment of about what was happening in those races and who actually turned out. Not only just who actually turned out, but who actually did the campaigning, what organizations were mobilized in there. Right. And my guess 
is that we're going to see, and this is just my gut feeling on here, you know, this is, you know, if I had to take, it's going to have, it's just going to break decidedly around the question of abortion rights, right, when it comes to Bucks County. And this also suggests what we're talking about when um, we need to say, really think about what the party stands for, what this coalition is built around, and how Democrats are going to win it was an unabashed, you know, kind of coming out and saying directly, we are going to protect abortion rights, not using all this wiggle language and trying to sound more Republican than Republicans, but making a firm stand when it comes into protecting kind of abortion rights, right? Protecting a bodily autonomy uh, of women in this, um, you know, um, in this county. So that's kind of a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, Kirsten says, yes, we protected every Bucks County Democrat incumbent in Harrisburg. And with our three PA House flips, Bucks County efforts accounted for a quarter of what was needed to flip the PA House. Congratulations to all everybody who worked on any of those campaigns um, for here. Now, what do you want to talk about? I, I do you want to talk about in my in the 143rd. That's kind of my district now is one of the new ones in the 145th. Uh, we've talked about them a lot on this um, on this campaign. And Gwen Stoltz, who just I mean, she ran the 143rd. She ran just an absolutely outstanding campaign. Uh, shout out to uh, Gwen Stoltz for amazing. She lost her. She lost her um, election. Um, but um, the organization was like one that I had never seen, especially in a new district, which was really, um, which was, yes, Chuck, I agree. Uh, she did deserve to win. Gwen was just absolutely amazing. Um, I was I was devastated that she lost. Um, my friend James Sersonsky worked as a campaign manager, um, worked on that, too, as well. I mean, they just that campaign did everything right. Um, but I guess that shows the still the, the strength in the uh, the Republicans, the Republican Party around here. Now, one of the things that was interesting about about her campaign is I saw was breaking down some of the numbers um, you look at by precinct level. And. Um, what was really interesting when you break it down by precinct rental, I looked at my precinct, for example, she won my precinct or she, or she won, uh, the Percocy borough, right? So Gwen Stoltz won Percocy borough. I believe she won Sellersville borough, if I'm not, if I'm not incorrect. And so there's these pockets where you can see that there was strong democratic party turnout. Um, and that's going to continue, I think. Right. So this is a this is a good thing. And this is the, the hardest as hard of a loss as it was. And, and and I agree exactly what Chuck said is that she deserved to win that race. Hands down. She's just an absolutely outstanding candidate. Just a just. Just smart, right, kind of pointed, one of the hardest working individuals I've seen in politics. I mean, just really um, she's fantastic. And um, I hope that 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 infrastructure that she helped build is not going to go away. I hope that is going to continue looking forward to 2024, uh, whether or not, look, I mean, people make their individual decisions about whether they're going to run again or not. Um, but I can't think of one thing that her campaign um, could have done differently. It was so kind of incredible. <clears throat> if you look at, you know, Jim Miller's campaign was the one, the 145th. Frankly, I think, I think uh, Jim Miller had a really tough road to hoe there. Uh, in part because unlike in the 143rd where you had Shelby Labs, right, who was basically kind of like a no-show and would show up for some really kind of like like radical stuff, right? And that's it. That's why I mean, that's why I think, you know, Shelby Labs against Gwen Stoltz and Gwen Stoltz should have deserved to win that hands down. That's just a sheer, that's a, that's a sheer reflection of Republic, Republican Party um, 
um, uh, membership um, and who turned out in the election in this district. That's that's all that's I mean, seriously, because Shelby Labs, you know, it's funny. He was talking to a bunch of Republicans and they're like, yeah, I just, I've never even seen her. Right. I mean, I, who is that? Like a Republican saying that asking me that question, you know. The 145th was a little bit more difficult because you had you had um, you had Craig Stats, um, who was a little bit more present in his district, um, got a little more kind of name recognition um, out there in Harrisburg, um, you know, and, you know, frankly, if you look at voter registrations up in that district, uh, Stats was kind of a really solid, you know, kind of position. Um, nonetheless, you got, you know, Jim Miller ran a freaking amazing campaign. Right. Him and his team. I mean, you know, he showed up. He did the door knocking like like once again, I've said this a thousand times over is that unlike past elections, I mean, when I cross literally when I'm on my drive to work, right, I'm I'm going like out of the 143rd into the 145th and I'm watching all the Gwen Stoltz signs all over the place. And then I cross over the 145th and then there's the Jim Miller signs. Right. That's huge. And once again, I pray. Right. For what it's worth that the infrastructure that was starting to get going in Jim Miller's campaign is going to continue going forward because that's going to be so integral. And the big part of this, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to make a case, right, especially these campaigns, to make a case to, this, um, to the countywide Democratic, Democratic Party that um, the organizational infrastructure that got started here needs to be supported. Right. They need resources and training and to bring more people in and just not to stop. Right. To keep on going. I know there's a lot of people that were working around the school board elections that started talking about deep canvassing, started talking about events that continued in between elections um, to kind of repair the, the well, not to repair, but to build from scratch in some ways that or kind of organic or, or organization and have been doing so over the past few like several years. That's awesome. And I hope they're going to get support at the countywide level um, for that kind of mobilization. We've talked about what the right wing has done in this county, and that's precisely what they do, right? I mean, they have events. I mean, like Amy, um, Amy Connect was, you know, on the show talking about it. I mean, she was down there, right? Um, in uh, God, I always forget that dude's name. Uh, at one of these kind of, you know, right for bucks uh, kind of open forums where they were actually, you know, training people how to take over the local Republican Party, how to run for office, how to do these national elections and helping them through that process. Right. I and mean, that's part of that training, uh, that training process. So pretty crazy. So so that's great. I mean, Fetterman. And again, I was I, the Fetterman race was one of the reasons why I had to check out for a little bit um, when it comes to like following the news and stuff, because I was really nervous about whether he was going to be able to um, was be able to pull that out. Um. And, you know, went back and forth with, uh, you know, Sean Kitchen, you know, used to be on the show on Fridays. He, he works out in Harrisburg now uh, for PA Spotlight and um, and um, Spotlight PA. <laughs> Just kidding, Sean. Um, the um, he he told me all, all along, he's, you know, Fetterman's going to win. Fetterman's going to win. Fetterman's going to win. And I'm like, I just. I know how horrific um, some of these right wing folks are going to be about um, um, uh, Fetterman's stroke and the kind of doubt and things like this they could place in people's mind because they have absolutely zero um, kind of morality about it or anything like this. And they will do whatever they can to kind of place doubt in people's minds. And that concerned me. Um, 
Um, but like you said, is like, you know, the people that were not deterred or were not kind of like it were the kind of was the youth vote. Um, the side of Lee came out um, in favor of Fetterman and uh, was one of the kind of, you know, key factors. Now, look, Fetterman was also somebody who came out and, you know, was 100 percent clear. Right. <clears throat> right. Women's right to abortion and bodily autonomy. Boom. That's it. That's not even a question. Right. That was a big deal. So um, you see that going by. It's just going to be absolutely huge. The biggest outstanding question right now is going to be what happens in the Pennsylvania State House. Um, as I said at the top of the uh, the top of the show, is that we are looking at a state house. See if we get down here. So house races. What happened to my? Oh God! Come on. Um, here we go. We are looking at, I'm just going to refresh the page and making sure we can, we're, we're here. This is the, this is the wrong one. Oh, I just saw the breakdown. Yeah, we're still at, we're still at 101 Democrats to a hundred Republicans in the Pennsylvania state house. Um, there are, you need 102 in order to take over the state house. I'm trying to find out. I was just looking at this spreadsheet with the breakdown of it. And it just, uh, the state house election stuff went away. Oh, it's killing me. Um, but there's just a few seats left here. Let me see. Four. Let's see. Tracking Democrat Republican here. Da, 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 da. Okay. View all. Here we go. What races do we have left here? Okay, so right now we have um, Moffa. There's two outstanding races. Oh, my God, it's going to be so tight. So you have two outstanding races. You have um, in the 142nd, right, you have Moffa running against Hogan, and it is at 50-50, right, 50% to 50%. And then you've got uh, – and that would, that would be – and right now they have um, Moffa ahead – I had the actual the, the 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 actual numbers of votes there. I should check that down soon. He was ahead just by a couple of votes not too long ago, um, but you've got ninety five percent reporting. Moffa is is slightly ahead um, there. If Moffa wins that election, right? If Moffa wins that election, that gives Democrats the control of the state house, and that would be huge. On the flip side of it, you have another race that's out there. That's the uh, that's in the one fifty first. You have Stevens, who's an incumbent Republican, um, is narrowly ahead of Serrato, who's the Democrat. Um, again, it's at a fifty percent, fifty percent, ninety five percent reporting, um, and that's it. Once we get those two races settled, um, then we're going to know. Now, the PA Democrats came out on Wednesday and said, you know, look for their canvassing and numbers. And what they were looking at and their raw numbers that they have, they said that the Democrats have the votes. Uh, they have the Democrats to flip the House. Um, I am not going to uh, uh, jinx that in any shape 
<laughs> any way, shape, or form. Um, oh, let's see. Did they call Polinchuk? That's a great point. Let me see. That's a great point. Because Polinchuk one was the other one that was outstanding, right? They're not showing it. By 400 plus votes. Kirsten says, yeah, Monroe took that by 400 plus votes. So we see. So that's going to be, I mean, that's really tight. That's really tight. So we're going to see what happens. Um, <clears throat> we're going to see what happens. I mean, this is so, this is so close, right? It's the kind of thing that's making me, <laughs> making my stomach here. But this is amazing. Um, uh, <clears throat> this is amazing uh, what it is. So we've got this one race that's outstanding, two races that are outstanding. Let's see. So you have... Uh, Wait, uh, Brian Monroe, uh, yep, 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 okay, Polinchek. Yep, well, we'll see. So here we have it, folks. Um, big, big deal. We're still waiting on to see what happens here in Pennsylvania. But, you know, one thing I have to say is that it's, uh, it is a different kind of day than I thought we were going to be having, a different kind of week. Um, I wasn't quite as... Uh, I wasn't quite as discouraged as I, as some folks were, but I still had that kind of pit in my stomach. And you again, you know, I was, you were talking to some friends and to it and say, you know, like I really have a tough time separating what is the lag from um, the past, you know, whatever, six years, right. Um, from being kind of, kind of, you know, stuck in a school district in which you have kind of extremists taking things over. And parents showing up apparently in support of this stuff and like hearing these conversations, you know, I mean, I, 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 it gets hard sometimes to see, you know, what's going to happen. I just had that kind of like that, that concern, like, I'm not going to take anything for granted, you know, whatever. So here we have it. So anyways, that's what we got for this week. Um, and uh, we're going to continue our kind of our election wrap up. So probably we're going to have a better sense of where things are um, coming into the next week. Uh, we want to remind you, we're going to have uh, Sean Cramsey. Um, he um, he'll be on our show on um, Monday at on Out to Coop Live. Um, and we're going to be talking more election stuff. <clears throat> um, we're going to be digging into a little bit about you know, kind of like the before after a little bit more of a kind of thoughtful um, kind of postmortem, so to speak. Um, but Sean Crampsey, he's the uh, the government relations director uh, for ABSCUF, which is the state faculty union, of the state system of higher education, my union. Um, we're going to have Sean on to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what was the picture going into the election, right? Uh, kind of where things sat and how things were understood. Then kind of now looking back on it, trying to get that assessment kind of what did he see? What is that kind of happening? What is that? Um, what were the races that were kind of surprising? What were the ones that were um, um, that? Uh, yeah. What were the ones that were surprising? What were the ones that seemed to uh, um, point in one direction or another? And then kind of thinking about what this means going forward. And then we'll also dig in, you know, to some of the higher education specifics, since that's kind of where he works is like, what does this mean? 
when we're thinking about, um, you know, public higher education in the state. What does this mean about education writ large um, in the state um, or in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania um, moving forward? So that will be on Monday at 7 p.m. on Out to Coop Live, and that will be with Sean Cramsey. Uh, can't wait to talk to Sean about this stuff. Uh, he's uh, just a fantastic analyst, uh, great guy to talk to, and uh, I think you're going to like that one. Anyways, um, that's going to be it for me this week uh, on Out to Coop Live. Uh, like I said, Sean Crampsey. But uh, our, our last call this week, um, I, I think it, our last call this week was the election. <laughs> I think we can celebrate with that, and that could be our fun thing for the week. Uh, next week, we'll get into some more uh, some TV movie stuff and uh, maybe some books that I'm reading, too, as well. Uh, but other than that, um, I hope you're going to enjoy this weekend. It, you know, it turns out the other thing, too, is that we had this, you know, the, the remnants of the hurricane going through today. Um, the remnants of the tropical storm actually going through today. So you got some rain today. Um, initially at the beginning of the week, we saw it was supposed to be a complete washout. And now it looks like it's actually gonna be a really good weekend. And I'm happy to say that I'm going to be playing D and D again this weekend. So I am absolutely thrilled. I'll, uh, keep you updated on that. Um, um, that's going to be what I'm going to do with my afternoon. So great anyways everybody uh this is ken mahoney creator and founder of raging chicken remind you can help support this show by heading over to patreon.com slash rc press today if you're watching us on youtube or listening to us on our podcast make sure you share the show make sure you give us that five-star review make sure you let other people know about it um make sure you like the stream make sure you're kind of uh you know do what you can um and also like seriously congratulations to everybody um who did all the hard work of getting out there um the people that did the canvassing um, uh, it just, uh, was incredible. People that work behind the scenes, the people did calls, um, that was all you, that's all you, we are here today because of the work that you did. Um, and that's absolutely phenomenal. So it's Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. We're calling it this week and, uh, we'll see you on Monday, everybody. I'm a little bit happy. It's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Take it easy, everyone. See ya! Come.